The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. into it if that's cool with you yeah for sure all right cool all right so today we have on uh, on the farm a wonderful amazing very special like so thrilled that he could join us uh james anderson of rotowire and tgfbi fame and also sirius xm uh he is all over the place and uh he won the first ever tgfbi right uh I did not actually. That was uh, my my partner Clay Link did that. I I have a pretty good rank in terms of the overall. Uh, like I think I'm third all time in terms of third all uh, time. the first two first first two seasons of TGFBI. I've That's finished top fifteen both years, but I, I actually have not uh, won. I did. I was in the Champs League uh, this past year. Uh, did pretty well in that and won my league the first year. Uh, but yeah, hoping to, I think we're two for two at Rotowire with Todd Zola winning the overall last year, Clay winning the first year. I'm hoping to try to make that three for three this year. Yeah. And you, uh, you being in the champions league and then you and Clay host the, uh, Rotowire prospect podcast over, uh, yeah. At Rotowire, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the prospect podcast comes out every Wednesday. Uh, you can get that on the Rotowire podcast feed, or there's a special feed just for the prospect podcast if you want that one. Yeah, and not that you shouldn't listen to this podcast, but you know, if you have extra time, um, I, I like I'm so thrilled to be talking to you because before I ever got into writing, when I first started looking at dynasty leagues, I listened to your podcast and learned so much from your group and so much from you and Clay that it was just incredibly helpful. So, um, thank you so much for that. But I'm yeah, I'm thrilled to talk to you today. Um, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So so. <laughs> Uh, I got a thousand questions for you. I'll only ask a few. Um, but I kind of wanted to just, because uh, you are so well regarded throughout the industry when it comes to prospect and prospect analysis, I kind of just wanted to talk to you about your process, what you do, what you're looking at, like what calls to your attention, how many games do you go to a year, those types of things, and just kind of get an understanding of, of what you go through in order to assess prospects. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's definitely evolved over the years. I, uh, have learned a lot. I, this is, I think my sixth year doing this for Rotowire, uh, managing the top 400 prospect rankings and, uh, you know, with just a lot of experience of, you know, what, what tends to translate, what, what, what to look for, for hitters, for pitchers. Uh, I feel like I've just gotten steadily better at it. Um, I used to go to more games than I do now. I I would say about you know half of my week is watching prospects in terms of just seeing how everyone's doing. I will watch uh, a decent amount of video, um, but I felt that in order to do my best at ranking the entire minor league universe, um, it can kind of you can uh, overrate some guys or underrate some guys if you just get a, a look at them in a one or two game sample and they have a really good day or a really bad day. Uh, that that can sometimes cloud your judgment. And like if, if a guy hits a home run at a game you're at, um, sometimes you'll end up just kind of overrating that guy when uh, there's, you know, there's a whole season going into this thing. So uh, there's a lot of people that do a really good job at, at ranking prospects and, and get out to see multiple games a week and stuff like that. I don't have that type of time in my schedule. There's a lot more that goes into my job at Rotowire than just ranking prospects. Uh, and I'm in the I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. So there, there's some Midwest League affiliates around here, but it's not like I'm in a in a prospect hotbed uh, per se. Um, so a lot of it is, you know, watching video. I do a lot of uh, statistical analysis on prospects. And I think, uh, you know, something that uh, people, I think, seem to appreciate about my work is I don't – I really try to cancel out the, the outside noise. Like, I avoid uh, a large majority of prospect rankings, like, by, by public outlets. I, I really try to not get – uh, sucked up into what the sort of consensus is on guys. And uh, I have sort of my own things that I like care about. And, you know, just one publication being high on a guy, like I, I really try to avoid that type of uh, noise when I'm, when I'm doing my own rankings. I, I think for, for hitters, I am pretty well known at this point for really valuing hit tools. Uh, I'll be lower on a lot of guys where, you know, there's the power speed that you can dream on, uh, but I just don't think the guy's going to hit enough for those tools to really matter. Uh, so I, I try to go hit tool first, and I, I think power is something that you can develop later on. Uh, speed's obviously very important. I care a lot about defense. I think a lot of people, um, you know, I've, I was lower on guys like Francisco Mejia and Willie Calhoun as prospects just because I knew that their defense was going to cut into their playing time. So I, I care about defense a lot more than certain uh, fantasy prospect rankers do. And then on the pitching side, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at identifying uh, high upside guys uh, before they kind of blow up. Um, you know, guys like Walker Buehler, Jesus Lazardo, uh, Clark Schmidt, you know, with a pitcher, it, it really doesn't take very long for you to get an idea of how good they are. Like it, it can only take like 10 innings sometimes if you know that the, the stuff is there. And I really just care about upside when it comes to pitchers. Like I don't, I don't really care about number four starters, number five starters. Uh, you need to at least have mid rotation upside for me to be interested. Uh, I hope that's a that's a pretty good overview. Yeah, no, that's um, a that's but, a really good yeah. overview. Let me let me ask you a couple questions just off of that though. So when you talk about hit tool, right? I mean, you have uh, like so many prospects out there, right? Inevitably, there's going to be some 
like I don't want to say box score scouting, but let's just say that it, you're you're kind of like looking for a signal through the noise to kind of go back and, and look at some players. So what are you focusing in on to kind of call out to you? Yeah. Uh, age to level is obviously very important. You know, I mean, I don't really care what a 22 year old's hitting for average wise at low A. Um, but I, I really care about uh, ability to make contact, you know, strikeout rate stuff where you got to start. Um, walk rate is, you know, it's, it's, it matters, but it also sometimes doesn't matter. I mean, if a guy is just raking at a level, uh, it's tough to expect them to also draw a lot of walks if they're not having any issue doing damage with a, with a bit of an aggressive approach. Sometimes you can get better at that. Um, but I really care about guys using the whole field. I care about guys being able to hit righties and lefties. Uh, I care about what type of contact guys are making. Uh, I mean, a, a nice line drive rate is, is really important to me. Uh, low ground ball rates important um but i mean if, if a guy is pretty young for his level making contact at a really high clip using the whole field hitting the ball on the line and in the air to me that's that's a signal of a guy that, that's going to be able to hit for a pretty high average all right so when we talk about pitching prospects and you you're kind of looking at stuff really i guess that's kind of like the hot word right now is stuff and if they can flash that then you're you're in on that am i right yeah, well, it, it's sort of what's the repertoire? Is it uh, a big fastball and then you know some okay secondaries? Like to me, I want there to be, you know, velocity is very important for sure. Uh, but fastball command, like if you have a ninety-four, ninety-five mile hour fastball and you can really command it, uh, that's that's a plus pitch to me. Uh, if it's ninety-six, ninety-seven, and you have no idea where it's going, that that doesn't matter as much. Uh, if you just have the one plus pitch, whether it's the fastball or a breaking ball, that's not as uh, appealing to me. I want there to be uh, three pitches that I think project to be at least above average. Uh, ideally, a couple 60 grade pitches, you know, the, the top end guys you want to see at least, you know, maybe a couple 70 grade pitches. So, depth of arsenal, quality of arsenal. I mean, I, I like to have three pitches that I really believe are going to be impact pitches at the big league level to project a guy as a starter uh so that that all kind of factors on is Forrest whitley broken <laughs> uh no I, and i he is someone that i am definitely on an island on I, I i still have him as my number one pitching prospect in the game and it's it's really you know you look at a guy who's six seven uh really athletic but has those long levers uh i think he's got three potential 70 grade pitches and a couple more potential 60 grade pitches i mean it's it's really really frontline stuff it's it's like number one number two number three pitcher in all baseball type of stuff if it all comes together with him and he was dealing with some physical issues last year uh shoulder and back a little bit uh ended up reworking his entire delivery uh, that he'd been using for the past five, six years. And obviously there were some growing pains with that, especially with regards to the command. Uh, but the stuff is, is still there. And I think that this year is going to be a, a big-time bounce-back year for him. I, I don't think that they're going to be in a rush to get him into the big league rotation because he's kind of, you know, it, it's sort of like a – he's kind of like a Ferrari. Like you, you really want to be very careful with sort of how you – uh, promote a guy like that and how you develop a guy like that because the reward could just be massive but you don't want to screw anything up 
I don't think they're going to rush him and rush him to the big leagues. I think his fastball command is probably going to dictate when he gets to the big leagues. But I think uh, a couple of years down the road from now, we're going to be talking about him as one of the best pitchers in the game. Right. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. He seems like he might be broken, though. I and mean, it sounds like to me like you might like Framber Valdez more than you like Forrest Whitley. I'm going to put you down for that. You like Framber? <laughs> like, that's that's where we're going with this. So so you still have him as your number one overall, right? But who's your number two overall starting pitcher? Or pitcher, I guess. Mackenzie Gore. And what is the what is the gap between the two of them? Uh, they're back-to-back. Okay, so so there's not much daylight between them. No, it, I have Whitley 15th overall, Gore 16th overall. So Right, but I mean, even then, right? Like the difference between 15 and 16, you might look at it and say, just I love Forrest Whitley that much more, even though this number says this, this is what I really think. So that's what I was, I was wondering if there was that much daylight between the two of them. Oh, there's, there's very, there's very little daylight. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, Whitley's already, the, the, some of the shine has come off. None of the shines come off with Mackenzie Gore, but the shine could absolutely come off. I mean, there's, there's really nothing anyone's saying about Mackenzie Gore right now that they weren't saying about Forrest Whitley a year ago. I mean, it, things can change in a hurry with pitching prospects. Alex uh, Reyes. Obviously. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, health is health is a massive, massive thing with this, and I wouldn't argue with anyone that, that prefers Gore to Whitley, but I, I just think Whitley's stuff is better than Gore's stuff uh, across the board. Like, when you just go pitch for pitch, I just think he's got better stuff. Um, and I think that if it all comes together, I think he's going to be – extremely special um gore is an awesome pitching prospect but the fact that i have my top guy at 15 kind of tells you just sort of how wary i am of just pitching prospects in general like if, if there's a hitter uh who i think has a pretty good chance to be like a outfield two uh in a mixed league and he's close to the big leagues i would still take that hitter over any pitching prospect yeah i kind of i i agree with you i fade pitchers i feel like when you were talking before about you know sp like a mid-rotation upside kind of like an sp3 or 4 i'm really not valuing those guys at all when i'm putting together my lists and really kind of putting them at the very back end of any list that i'm making i really try to buy into the bats and then the really high upside arms but man those arms when it comes down to it like any number of things can happen a la michael kopech alex reyes Forrest Whitley the last year it just it gets scary I always feel like they're such a dicey proposition not even just by injury just because the linear growth there's no it's very non-linear growth of pitching so yeah absolutely yeah so uh one other question about your process just before we kind of get into some of this other stuff when it comes to like what type what occurrences have to happen for a prospect to shoot up your rankings or or take a complete dive outside of injury um, you know, if it's a, I kind of, you know, sort of touched on it with pitchers. Like if it's a guy, uh, who's all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're getting reports on this stuff is, is really exciting. You know, it's, it's a completely different type of arsenal than I previously thought the guy had. Uh, I'll bump him up in a hurry. I, I'll react really quickly on that, uh, with, with a you know any type of pitcher that that is dealing with sort of nagging injuries you're, you're going to move them down in a hurry uh with hitters i i think you have to be um kind of a bit more 
patient for the most part, especially when guys are in full season ball. Uh, when a teenager, like, you know, like a Noel V. Marte type of guy really, really takes uh, pro pitching by, by storm and the tools are as impressive as they are, I think you, you definitely want to get aggressive on pushing those uh, high pedigree uh, toolsy guys up when it looks like they could be special and they could move really fast. Uh, it does, doesn't really do anyone any help if you're just extremely patient on every single teenage hitter until they start doing it at, at high A, double A, triple A, because by then they're, they're long gone. So uh, if, it's a, if it's a young hitter with tools who you believe in and they start showing they can hit, I think you got to get aggressive with it. Um, if it's a if it's a hit like if it's a hitter like uh, like Esteban Florial for example, um, yikes! Once once I sort of decide that like, look, I just don't think this guy's going to hit. Uh, I'll I'll be pretty aggressive on how how far down I move them. Um, you know, the same thing can be said for for any number of guys in the lower levels that have impressive tools and it's just like is this guy going to hit what, why would we think this guy's going to hit? Like if, if we start having those conversations, then I'm just going to move the guy uh, really far down my rankings. Yeah. I think I have one more question about that and, and just in general, right? So we have these, the international group that comes through and you have all sorts of names that will crop up and shoot up lists and they could, they could end up um, like a, an infamous, shortstop slash third baseman that was on the Braves that is now on the Angels, like their prospect, or it could be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. When they're first coming through, like Noel V. Marte, maybe he doesn't come stateside. How are you valuing those players? Like, what are you looking at in order to get a sense of what they're like? Uh, I think body is really important. Uh, the, the problem with Maiton um, is, you know, his – his uh, status, his sort of stock kind of peaked when he was 14 and his body just kind of went south from there. And As you have to be kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you want, you know, you want a guy that's got a frame and a physique where you can kind of look four or five, six years down the road and say, Hey, this guy's going to look like a baseball player. This guy's going to look like someone who's going to be able to provide uh, ideally value on both sides of the ball. Vladimir Guerrero is obviously kind of a, a unique case where it's just all about the bat. Um, but I mean, he just did such insane stuff, uh, level to level, uh, relative to, uh, the people in those leagues that, that you could get pretty aggressive on him. But, you know, I, I want someone who's like, if he's 16, 17 years old, you know, I, I'd like him to be maybe six, one, uh, buck 65, something like that, you know, so that he can kind of grow into that body, uh, and keep his explosiveness, keep his quick twitch acts, actions while filling out in a natural way. Uh, that's important. I mean, pedigree is important, but the these deals are agreed to and these guys are like 14 years old so just because a guy got one of the bigger bonuses in a class if reports coming out of like the tricky league and dominican uh you know instructs fall instructs stuff like that if those reports are not necessarily um living up to sort of everything we read about the guy when he first signed you have to take that into account because these guys are evolving um, so quickly uh, for better and for worse. Sometimes guys only get, you know, 50 grand 
Uh, but by the time they, they come to the complex leagues, they are a completely different player. And so you have to really be able to uh, pivot really quickly when we start hearing about a guy like Maximo Acosta growing three inches and adding 30 pounds. And all of a sudden now he's uh, this guy that really projects to be a five category type of guy. Uh, that wasn't the case when he signed, but you have to really uh, adjust on the fly. Okay, so there was a little bit of shade thrown, like a little bit of underhanded compliment towards uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I'm assuming that you were insinuating that Vladimir has a bad body, but he is, but it, there's so much of it. So <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, it seems like he, he's going to play third base for the rest of his career. I'm going to put him down in pen for that. Are you not? <laughs> um. You know, he's uh, <laughs> he's just one of those guys where he's got to get serious about it, yeah. right? It's uh, I mean, it's he's never he never struggled ever on a baseball field until like, he didn't live up to his expectations last year. He didn't live up to really anyone's expectations last year, and um, he's he's a, he's got a huge ass. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna it's it's gonna be tough for him to ever sort of have a good body but he still needs to do everything in his power to kind of keep it where it is this spring training to the point where he can um you know still be pretty mobile still be agile uh, still have that quick bat uh you know obviously he's certainly not going to stay at third base forever um but i mean if he does not stay on top of his conditioning things could really go south in a hurry so i mean that's he has to stay on top of things just to kind of remain the way he is physically so really quick before we kind of jump in, jump into some other inf- uh, stuff here, uh, you know, I think the latest news on some of the international prospects was that Yokelis, 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 I don't know, Cespedes' stepbrother uh, has been declared a free agent or will be declared a free agent on March 18th. So when your list is released again, where do you see him falling? Um... Well, I won't be adding him. Right. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll add him once he signs, right? Um, you know, he doesn't have uh, the greatest body. Uh, I think five nine, two hundred five pounds. Um, I'm usually lower on Cuban guys that sign at that in that age range. Uh, once you know if they sign when they're 16 that's one thing when they sign when they're already men with habits and and stuff that they you know they're they're not necessarily we don't exactly know how everything's going to translate a lot of times they haven't played in a while um just adjusting to kind of living in the united states can sometimes be uh, a whole thing so I'm sure I'll be lower on him than, than most people will be. The fact that he's related to Jonas Cespedes uh, just only adds to the hype. You get, you know, guys like Jeff Passan will tweet out um, just really glowing stuff about these guys, and then everyone just gets all excited. Uh, I think if you kind of take a wait-and-see approach more on those, you know, 21, 22, 23-year-old guys that come over from Cuba, I think you'll be right more often than you'll be wrong. Um, but I would imagine he'll be, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't expect him to be top 50, um, maybe in that 50 to 150 range, somewhere in there. All right. So, so kind of on this same vein, we'll, we'll use it to, to dovetail here. Um, the Kansas city Royals farm system is very like tapioca to me. 
Um, I don't like it at all. I don't like pretty much almost any of their players. But I... Wait, hang on. We're, I lost my eyes here. Uh, but what's his face? Eric... Wait, no, not Eric. What's his name? Di Eric Pena. That's his name. 16-year-old Eric Pena. Uh, has there's been some grumblings that he has uh, been performing and very interesting in the uh, the complex or in the fall instructs. So, uh, what do you think about just the Royals organization in general? Are they trash? And then, what are you doing with Eric Pena? Uh, you know, I actually when I really dove in on the Royals for my uh, don't write you do up it. of all, don't you do it. all the guys in their system, I. I thought it was actually better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, they obviously had just a ton of guys that, that flamed out last year on the, the position player side. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of fan bases would love to be able to dream on Bobby Witt Jr. and Eric Pena as position players that could hit 3-4 in a lineup five years from now. I mean, that's that's a pretty nice young one-two. They're both a long ways away. There's a lot that can go wrong. Uh, but with Pena specifically, I mean, the bat speed is is elite. It's uh, just an incredibly fast bat with big-time power projection, and I think he's going to be able to hit for a, a pretty decent average. It's probably going to be power over hit, but I still think he could hit around like 280, uh, 285, something like that. So uh, he's probably going to go to the AZL, and I expect him to put up pretty good numbers there. He's got the type of body you want from a guy that age who's going to be a corner outfielder who hits for power where uh, he can add 20, 25 pounds of muscle and still be the same guy he is right now. Um, so I'm, I'm high on Pena. Um, it's not, you know, after Witt and Pena, it's not the most fantasy-friendly system, but I think you could argue that if you're just looking at who has the most – starting pitching depth in the mid to upper levels of the minors, the Royals might be at the top of that list, even though none of those guys project as frontline guys. Right. And I feel like when you were talking earlier about your kind of middle of the rotation, nothing really that sticks out. They are that, that mindset calcified, right? Brady Singer, Chris Bubik, Jackson Coer, And uh, there's one other guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Well, right now. Daniel, Daniel Lynch is probably the guy with the upside. Yeah. Uh, Power, power, Singer, and Bubik, yeah. Like, uh, I think Singer's very overrated. I think Bubik's overrated. Cower, uh, you know, if you're a number three starter and you get to pitch half your games in Kansas City, that's that's still pretty darn useful in fantasy. Uh, I think Cower could probably get there. Lynch, Lynch could be a number two. I mean, he's six six, lefty, chance for three plus pitches. Uh, so in that ballpark, I mean, he really impressed a lot of people in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, you know, I think he could be a guy that's that's pretty darn interesting. But they've got like six or seven guys after Lynch who I think have that number three type of upside. And if they just hit on two or three of those, uh, that that's you know that's pretty darn good for a farm system that's that's trying to rebuild. Um, most most rebuilding systems would happily trade pitching prospects with the Royals. Yeah. So I just have a little bit of a hot take, and I want I want you to to support me on this. Wander Franco, I, I'm starting to not like him because he takes up so much oxygen when talking about prospects, and it's tiresome. And I just want him to be up already, and I want him to not be a prospect anymore, and I want him to be the, the next elite of elite. Please, yeah, I please sympathize. I can't, I can't wait till he loses his prospect eligibility. Uh, 
not only will there be a new number one prospect, but we'll get to watch him in the big leagues. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I guess I, I 100% sympathize with the notion of can this guy just graduate already? Not as much as you do maybe with Wander, but I get that. Like, I couldn't wait for Kyle Tucker to graduate. Um, you know, there's there's always guys like that where it's just like I'm so sick of ranking this guy. He's been spinning his wheels at AAA for a season and a half. Like, please just graduate so we can get on with this thing. Yeah, it's kind of wild to talk about a 19 year old like that we're just like all right graduate already so we can we can be done hey by the way you know just let me let me go ahead and ask the question who's the next wander franco thanks i'll hang up and listen <laughs> uh i don't think there there is a next wander franco there's no um, other 80 80 grade overall prospect coming <laughs> he's so unique man i I haven't. There hasn't been a Wander Franco since I've been ranking prospects. Uh, just when you consider what he's good at, like what, when you just look at every every part of the, the profile, where just walking twice as much as he strikes out as the youngest player at every level. I mean, it's just very very rare to see that from a guy who has a chance to have seventy grade raw power. Um, I mean, I I would expect that there's going to be the the problem is the guy that I would have. As my number one prospect, if Wander Franco graduates, assuming Gavin Lux also graduates, it'd be Julio Rodriguez. But I think Franco and Julio Rodriguez have a chance of debuting like in the same month this summer if everything goes perfectly for those two. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see who it might. I mean, you know, it might end up being Jason Dominguez with the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole slew of hitters in my top 14, and over half of them could be graduated by like August of this year. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of movement up top. Um, I love Shirt and Apostle. Uh, he's just a dude that I've kind of latched onto, and I have a hard time letting go. Um, I'm I'm right for loving him, right? <laughs> he's a ton of fun, uh, and I, I mean that. Um, <laughs> Pun was intended there. He is a ton of fun. Uh, he's kind of got that Miguel Sano, Jorge Soler type of ceiling. Oh, yeah. Where, Give it to me. <laughs> uh, big, 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 big power. Uh, easy power. Might not have a defensive home by the time he gets to the big leagues, uh, which is why I kind of draw those comparisons where he's just, you know, he's a big 6'4 slugger. It's, it's all about the bat. Extreme exit velocities. Uh, We'll, we'll see if he makes enough contact on his march to the big leagues. I think if he can keep that strikeout rate in the sort of 25 to 28% range, I think he will hit enough to be an everyday designated hitter in the big leagues. Like that, That's how special the bat could be if he makes enough contact. All right. So what you're telling me is that he'll be Nick Solak with more, more power. <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? He, I mean, he... He looks like he ate Nick Sola. Yeah, yes, he did. Is it going to be so? So, do you like him or do you like Josh Young better? And is it Shirt and Apostle? And if it's not, then we should probably end this a little bit early. Um, I have Apostle. Uh, no, I, I think you'll like my answer. Uh, so, I have Apostle ranked one spot ahead of uh, Josh Young okay, on good. my rank. We can keep and the podcast going. Then this is great. Oh. The, they're like the exact. They're the exact opposite, basically. Yes, yes, they are. I just I love a guy that can like like you said like has that. That's why I fell in love with Kalia Lee. If we're going back to Royals podcast or in Suli Matias, just kind of like that real raw, strong 
dude that can kind of put one over the fence, muscle one out. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of kind of just giant humans, um, O'Neill Cruz, um, where what's a good season for him? Um, a good season for him would be to handle himself uh, against upper level pitching. It hasn't, you know, he hasn't just had the the reps really to kind of prove that yet. Although he got off to a pretty good start uh, at Double A towards the end of last year, I, I think if he just he's a guy where it's just really really tough to know where to rank him because of his size. It's just he's so unique. Like I, I think we can. Assume he's going to move off shortstop. Uh, I think he's going to end up in right field. And there's just there's fewer than like 15 guys that are over six six that have made it over the past like 30 years as good position players. So he's he's definitely um, battling the odds just in terms of guys in that height range. But exit velocity is very similar to Shirt and Apostle, where you know you're talking about a guy that could have 70 maybe even 80 power at some point. And so I think he needs to walk uh, over 10% of the time. He needs to keep the strikeout rate under 30%. And if he just keeps doing that at double A AA and triple A, I think uh, we're just going to have no choice really but to buy in. I mean, he's just going to have a massive strike zone. I mean, it makes him pretty risky, but uh, if it all comes together, it could be pretty special. All right. So I asked you to list some guys that you love so that we can talk about them. You put down Ricky Venasco, Clark Schmidt, Spencer Howard, Julio Rodriguez, Tyler Freeman, Dylan Carlson, and Jordan Groshans. Groshans. Groshans? Groshans. I think it's Groshans. Yeah, I'll go with Groshans. Okay, great. Um, Clark Schmidt, is he going to break camp with the Yankees? No. Uh, well, that's I think he will be. I think he will be up around like sometime in June, maybe. I, I drafted him in... Uh, Tout Wars draft and hold. I think he's a great draft and hold guy. Um, not, you know, I, I think the injuries in that rotation certainly clear a, clear a nice path for him, but I, I do think the Yankees will be, I mean, they'll, they'll do their due diligence with making him throw, I don't know, six, seven, eight starts at AAA probably before he comes up. So, you know, long term, right? If you were thinking about starting pitchers and, and, and what they might be in the end right if you look back on their back on their career and i know that that's kind of a loaded loaded thought but clark schmidt and diego garcia where is it for you because i feel like a lot of people love garcia but they don't and they are willing and quick to overlook his body and how tiny he is yeah i think that there's been a lot of sort of hand-wringing about yeah short righties can have success and then they all point at Sonny Gray and Marcus Stroman and um, you know there's a reason why it's always the same names because there just aren't a lot of success stories to point to Uh, I worry about the command as much as I worry about the body and I think that the Yankees internally uh I, if I had to guess, I think they probably think he's more of a reliever than a starter. I think he could be an absolutely awesome multi-inning reliever. I mean, that's the nice thing about continuing to develop him as a starter is he, he's a guy that can maybe go get you two innings, two and a third innings out of the bullpen and, and be really good in that type of a role. But I I don't think that they're going to try to make him handle 180 innings at the big league level. I just don't think that would be all that wise from a player development standpoint. 
and he gets that sort of upside tag. Well, I think a lot of people want to put Schmidt as like, oh, he's a number three starter. I think it's kind of the opposite. I think Schmidt's the guy with a really high ceiling because he has three plus pitches. He has really good command. He knows how to pitch. He uh, just is really good at his craft. Um, I think that he's got a deceptively high ceiling. Whereas I think Garcia, when you factor in the command and you factor in that he's a slight five foot nine righty, I, I think he's got a bit lower of a ceiling if he sticks in the rotation. I feel like you have recency bias because you watch Clark Schmidt pitch in the spring training game. He was um, nasty. He was so nasty in his debut. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got like bias of every time I watch him pitch over the past two years. I I have loved what I've seen. I I really um, try, try to tell people to dial it back with the um, spring training uh, excitement with. Uh, prospects uh, but it's it's great when you can watch these guys we've been baseball starved for like ever since the fall league it's it's really great to see all these videos of guys on twitter just shoving in spring training no. um but yeah i mean i think i think with certain guys the hype gets a little out of control but uh you know i, I had clark schmidt as a top 60 prospect before spring training no. started so and Gordon Jordan Gordon Jordan Groshans had kind of a an injury shortened season. Are you just optimistic, or do you truly love him? I truly love him. Wow! It, when you were asking when you were asking earlier about like what I look for with a with a hit tool, uh, Groshans checks every single box. He's like uh, I don't even know what if you tried to find a flaw in his game offensively, I don't know what it would be. Uh, I think he's going to be a plus like defensive right short now, like You're like fanning baseman. yourself as you're talking. I can, yeah, I can yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's good that nobody's in this room with me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's, you know, the, the, the only real flaws with Groshans are, you know, he hasn't played baseball in a competitive setting for almost a year now because of the the ankle and foot injuries um i think it was actually a foot injury uh you know if he picks up where he left off last year i mean they they might send him straight to high a even with just 23 games at low a um i mean i think at least a plus hit tool easy plus power i mean he he can really handle velocity We'll see how he does when he gets to double A and starts having to deal with pitchers that can spin a breaking ball and throw it for strikes and stuff like that. But uh, Groshans is, is really the total package as long as he can uh, pick up where he left off before that injury. Yeah. So uh, I know I noticed you listed Tyler Freeman. Um, I have an affinity for Rockies players and Rockies prospects. Uh, why is he more interesting than Ryan Velotti? Uh Velotti pretty much did all his damage at Lancaster last year. Um, as one should. Right, as one should. But, you know, yeah, he he would theoretically get to hit in course field, but they have just so many position players who are kind of redundant on that organizational depth chart. And, you know, he might be, he's probably, you know, he's definitely a better defender than uh, a lot of those guys. So that's that's a leg, leg up for him. Uh, but, I wouldn't be surprised if his numbers really cratered, cratered at Double A this year. Uh, I think he took a lot of advantage of some pretty nice parks to hit in uh, in the lower levels. Uh, Tyler Freeman, 
I think he might have a 70 hit tool when it's all said and done. And I think he's he's one of those guys who's always going to outperform uh, the speed grades on him. You'll you'll see 55s. You might see 50s on his speed. I think he's a guy that's going to be a 20 steal guy in the big leagues just because he's such a good base dealer. He's got such good instincts. He's going to be on base just a ton. And I think the power is going to come. I think he's a, a big time doubles guy right now, but uh, three, four years down the road, I think he'll be a, a twenty homer guy. With Freeman being and he's a Cleveland prospect, right? So with that said, are you so you like him more so than you like Brian Rocchio? Yeah, I like him quite a bit more. Okay. All right, good to know. Um, you uh, listed a few guys that you'd like to sell high on, and um, I need to better understand why you do not like Jose Garcia, Nate Pearson, and Alec Bohm. Um, but I'm first going to start with Jose Garcia because I feel like the love surrounding him has been uh, pretty apparent lately um, with a lot of different people. What what is it yeah. about Jose Garcia that you see that you're just like you're all wrong and you're you're dumb? Well, part of the reason why I think it's a great time to sell high on him is because of all that noise, right? Like I I've been getting I've gotten multiple questions about him in the past like twelve hours about whether he could come up and replace Freddie Galvis, uh, who's hurt right now. Um, you well, know, it's it's happening. a. Fl- <laughs> no, uh, but just the fact that I got those questions tells me that, like, you know, you don't want to be super obvious about it. You don't want to be like, hey, best offer for Jose Garcia. But, I mean, if, if you're in a trade talk with a guy and they ask about Jose Garcia, I would definitely listen. And he's, to me, he's, first of all, I think he's a better real-life prospect than a fantasy prospect. Uh, love, with, love it when a guy's got good defensive chops. It's going to keep him in the lineup and everything. But um, I think you're going to see him high on, on some real life rankings in large part because of his defense. Uh, you know, he was bad in the Arizona fall league and he's been good in the cactus league. And I just don't know why we should care more about one than the other. Uh, he looks the part, but I, I kind of get some, <laughs> I kind of get some Orlando Arcia vibes from him. Whoa. And Whoa. <laughs> yeah, and you know Orlando Arce is having a great spring training too. Um, nobody's saying Orlando Arce is going to have an awesome year because he's having a great spring training. So I, I think people just I'm going to absolutely 100% edit this to say that you're saying Orlando Arce is <laughs> going to have a great year. Yeah, um, I think it's just this. This you, you mentioned recency bias. Uh, I really I try so so hard not to let it seep in with me, but I know it's a, it's kind of a natural human tendency to do that to get excited see a guy uh, look really well in a, in a couple of bats and spring training and get really excited i just think we have to look at the total body of the work the fact he hasn't played a double a yet um i think he could be a good real life shortstop who is probably more of a middle infield fantasy guy than a starting shortstop fantasy guy and I think right now there's just so much hype on Twitter about Jose Garcia and everyone wants to be like, oh, this guy's so underrated, so underrated. Uh, I think it's gotten to the point where I would be trying to cash him out right now. Okay. And then um, why do you not like Alec Bohm and, and how quickly will you realize that you're wrong? <laughs> uh, it could be very quickly. I mean, it could be, you know, he, he might be up in May or June and uh, if he... 
is awesome, then I will know that I was wrong uh, within a, within a few months. But yeah, I mean, he's I'm another take, guy. I'm taking exception to this. So when this does happen okay. and when he does perform, <laughs> I want you to publicly apologize specifically to me for being okay. wrong. Well, all right, I'll right, right tweet you. I don't, <laughs> I don't even think I need to do the period in front of the at anymore. I think they fix it, so you don't have to do that. Yeah. But uh, I will. I will definitely admit I'm wrong. Um, the the thing I don't like about Bohm is just the the level of how much other people like him. Like I think he's he's a top fifty prospect to me. He's not a top twenty prospect, and I think you could get that type of value for him in a trade right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so much of what he did last year, kind of like Ryan Bellotti was at the the hitter friendly park at Reading. Um, I don't like the you know he's a he's a terrible defender at third base uh but he's probably going to debut there um eventually i think he'll be their first baseman reese haskins will be their designated hitter uh but all this kind of puts a lot of pressure uh the bat them and it's very impressive how much contact he made for such a big guy but i don't think there's a ton of proof that he's going to be a guy that hits for a high average and hits for 30 homer power at the same time. I think he might have to choose between the two and sacrifice some batting average to, to start tapping into the type of raw power that he's got in there. Or he could just be all about the hit tool and be more of like a 2025 homer guy, which, you know, neither of those outcomes are ones that I'm in love with. Okay. I mean, that's fair and even keeled, but I'm just going to continue to, breathe heavily whenever I talk about his name. So uh, I want to I just bring up two additional names before we break, maybe three. Um, which one are you are you more excited about right now? Uh, oh, everybody still there? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, which, which one are you more excited about right now? Uh, Greg Jones, Jaron Duran, or mm, let's pick let's pick somebody a little bit off the radar. Um, Alexander Canario. Oh, okay. Uh, I, to me, it's it's between Jones and Canario. Uh, very, very, very different players. Yeah, I, I will go with Canario because his raw power is very special. I think there is some risk that he goes the Suli Matias route but I don't think he's overvalued to the point where uh, he's still not very exciting even with that risk factored in I think he's got the type of power that will transcend ballparks like he, he's not going to be um, suppressed by uh, the ballpark in San Francisco the way that some other guys are um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's it's kind of a, a cleanup hitter, cleanup hitting corner outfield uh, profile as long as he makes enough contact, and that's that's obviously very exciting. Jones is a kind of slash and dash guy who strikes out a little bit too much, but the speed's so elite that uh, we hope it works. I mean, the Rays the Rays clearly have a type because they have Jones, Xavier Edwards, and Vidal Brujan who all kind of do the same thing mm-hmm. and play the same positions. And so I think they're probably crossing their fingers that two of those three pan out. And um, 
the nice thing about those three guys is if they aren't starter caliber, they just have all these tools that are just so valuable off the bench that they can transition nicely into a util role. That's obviously not what we want for fantasy, but I think that's why they're trying to get as many of these guys as they can. I feel like util role is very on-brand for Tampa no matter what. Like, they just want a bunch of guys who can play, like, five, six positions. Yep. Including their pitchers. So why why do you not like Jaron Duran, then? Is it just because he's too slappy? Uh... I've heard some bad things about his makeup. I've heard really, really, really bad things about his defense. Uh, you know, I know he started hitting for power this spring, I think. Um, that's going to be pretty critical for him. He was definitely way too slappy in the lower levels uh, to make up for the fact that he uh, is very, very raw as a defender in the outfield. Um, but I just there's there's some red flags that I just heard from scouts when I was in the Arizona Fall League that I'm just um, not that excited about. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a couple matches down from those other two for me. Okay. All right. Is there any any other uh, names that you want to throw down to everybody who's listening before we uh, break? No, I mean, we, we hit on a lot of guys. You listed out all those guys that I was high on. Um, yeah, I mean, I think okay. we covered, covered a lot of bases. All right. So with TGFBI, we'll just plug that one more time. Um, where did you where did you wind up? What happened? Explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we were um, we were battling it out on that turn. Uh, yeah, for the entire draft. James and I are in the same league. The league of death is what they were. We were in the league of death. Yes, you were picking first. I was picking second. So we're right at that turn. Um, we did we did a lot of the same stuff uh, yes, especially early on we were very and sorry. i i just i just got off the radio clay and i did a did a two-hour radio show right before this and i was telling him my my biggest regret if i could do it over is i was deciding between blake snell and shane Bieber with pick 29 and i ended up going snell and obviously now the, the elbow thing uh, would certainly do that differently if I could do that one over. Uh, and you ended up taking Bieber with the very next next pick, as you should have. And I would have taken Snell if you had taken Bieber. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. yeah. Funny how funny how that works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you were you were saved from you saved the me. mistake by me. Yes. Um, still, knock on wood, I, I saw a report that maybe Snell will get into a game next week, but uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, in a fifteen-team league like that, it's. You have to know kind of going in that there's going to be – you're going to have a weakness, right, or, or maybe even, you know, two weaknesses. Like you're not going to be able to cover everything, everything in a 15-team mix league, especially with uh, all the great owners that were in this draft. Uh, my weaknesses ended up being first base and uh, the back of my outfield. I took Dylan Carlson and Sam Hilliard, and those are kind of stashes where I, I don't expect to really be starting either of those guys till at least – you know, late April, maybe May. Uh, so kind of weak at my OF4, OF5 spots, and then very, very weak at first base. I'm, I'm going to be starting Jesus Aguilar. Uh, just could not buy a break in terms of there were just first basemen that I wanted, and they just kept going. And rather than just reach for something just to kind of plug that spot, I just – tried to take value elsewhere knowing that that was going to be a pretty big weakness for me so um 
you know that's that's the way it goes. In a fifteen team league, you're not gonna you're not gonna draft a perfect team. No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, so like you said, the weaknesses are can can they they can present themselves pretty fast. So uh, for second base, I have Adam Frazier as my lone second baseman, and I'm sure it's gonna go real well. I'm sure it's gonna be great. Uh, <laughs> And, and, you know, if Yoel Moncada does not pan out or he gets hurt, I'm sporting Tommy LaStella and Todd Frazier um, in the back there. So I do not know what will end up happening there. But, I, you know, things turned out pretty well. I was relatively happy with where I ended up, and uh, especially in that league. I mean, when you have guys like Ariel Cohn and uh, Nicholas Mariano and Jorge Montayas, and, you know, when they, you know, Smata does this team projections and does the overall our league had number two, number three, and number four overall um, with their ranks. So that's pretty, pretty good. I thought I was doing pretty yeah. well at number 37 overall, but that's not. Nope. Nope. Well, if it, I don't know if it's going to make you feel any better or not, but I don't really care at all about those no, projections. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I mean, it's, I, it's a lot of like injury luck and there's going to be like a lot of, yeah. you got to work that wire. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an absolute grind. Like you, you have to be, uh, this is something that, you know, five years ago when, uh, you know, I was pretty new in the industry, Clay and I split a main event team and we just, we, we thought we were just so smart and, and so great. And we, we thought we crushed the draft. And we did not put the time in, in the season to kind of make it count. You know, I mean, you, you can't take any Sunday nights off. You can't take any Monday mornings off. You have to be there making your fab bids. And really, like, you can't just sit down and look at your lineup and just set it and then just go about your business. Like, it, it takes some time to kind of figure out exactly what you want to do uh, every week uh sunday night monday morning um you definitely got to put in the time and that's that's what makes this uh, tgfbi so fun like i don't i don't need there to be cash on the line for me to take this very seriously because it's definitely bragging rights it's definitely um you know just kind of everyone trying to prove how good they are uh so i'm, I'm really looking forward to it yeah let me just before we break dalton varsho i took him with a lottery ticket at the end there do you think he comes up this year i think he probably does i don't think it's gonna be super early no, uh, i don't think so either otherwise i would assume that you would have picked him much earlier in the, in the draft right it's it's a tough year for catching prospects if you're trying to extract 2020 value because other than the guys that are going to break camp in the big leagues it's kind of like Varsho and joey bart and you kind of hope that they're up around june uh, the the thing with um, the thing with Varsho to keep an eye on. I, I I don't know if he's gotten into a game yet this spring. I know there was a report that said he's back to full strength, but he had a really nasty ankle injury uh, over the winter, and so I would wonder if they might take it a little slow with him uh, early on. But um, but I think his first year is going to be one of the most fun years to have him because I'm not so sure how long he's going to maintain catcher eligibility, and he'll obviously have it that first year when he comes in, but uh, his biggest weakness is catcher defense. They have a very, very good defensive catcher in Carson Kelly who's not getting supplanted anytime soon, so there's a chance that a couple years down the road he might be outfield only. Right. I agree. 
Well, James, thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on. I really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back sometime. This was a lot of fun, Adam. I really appreciate you having me on. It was fun uh, drafting next to you in TGFBI, and, and best of luck this season. Yeah, talk to you soon.